0: Where do you go to find advice? The internet, TV, co-workers, friends, family? These are all pretty common places to look for help. We all have those situations in our life that push us to do a quick Google search. Whether it's dealing with a burnt steak, a leaking water heater, or a car that isn't sounding so great, we could all use a little help. But for those situations that return about zero results from Google, or those situations that the fortune cookie just didn't predict, where do we go then? Those situations require more than knowledge. They require wisdom. It might be common sense to take a burning steak off the grill, but for other situations, you might need some uncommon sense. at Northridge Church. Whether you are joining us from one of our Rochester area locations, whether that is Irondequoit, Greece, Webster, Henrietta, uh, or you're joining us from online, we want to say welcome. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this Sunday morning. My name is Graham Spruel. I get the privilege of hanging out with our teenagers here at Northridge and directing our student ministry, um, and I love what I get the opportunity to do. Uh, today I have An awesome opportunity to kind of close out this series that we've been walking through for the past couple of weeks called Uncommon Sense, where we've been looking at different parts of the book of Proverbs uh, to see where we can take some practical wisdom uh, from King Solomon. And today I have the honor and the privilege of talking about the topic of money. (laughs) Now before you think, okay, here we go again, don't worry because we're going to be talking about money from your point of view. How you can better steward and handle the money that God has given you. Uh, Because whether we like it or not, statistics actually show that we care a lot about money here in America. Uh, We we think it's kind of a big deal. Uh, For example, an article that USA Today posted back in November uh, stated that the United States of America was ranked number 11 among the richest countries in the entire world. Now, if we're talking number 11 out of 20 countries, okay, that's a lame statistic. We're talking number 11 out of 195 countries. That's the top six percentile. It's not half bad. Uh, That shows us that there's some cash flow going on in America that the other 94% of the world is not experiencing. So we have money. But a question may be, well, how do we feel about the money that we have? VARO is a mobile banking uh, app that one can download and and they surveyed a thousand U.S. adults to ask them how they felt about their money. And 85% of them said they sometimes feel stressed about their finances. And 30% of them said they always feel stressed about their finances. Now I can't read minds in here, but I would venture to say that if we were to do the same poll across all of our campuses, I would imagine the numbers may look decently similar with how we too feel about our finances. We have money and it matters. In fact, it matters so much that couples, marriages, are actually willing to split up because of it. Statistics show that people fight more about the topic of money than any other thing that they fight about. And uh, the Huffington Post wrote an article citing that money issues was in the top 10 reasons why people get divorced. It was number seven. And today.com and marriage.com listed it as the number two reason why couples get divorced. And so people, again, whether we like it or not, we have money and it matters to us. But some of the questions that I kind of want to raise today, and I hope that you'll journey through this with me, is okay, money matters, but why does it matter? And how much should it matter? And if it matters, most importantly, how do we make it matter most? And that last question is really where we're we're going to be spending most of our time here uh, today. Thankfully, we don't have to do it on our own. We have somebody who's gone before us uh, that we can learn from. Uh, It's a king named Solomon who we've been hanging out with for the past couple of weeks to find his uncommon sense wisdom on things such as sex and parenting. And and today we're going to see what he has to say about money. And a big portion of of, of how we're going to be spending our time today is not necessarily talking about what money is, but more so, how do we make our money matter? And if we're looking to the wisdom of Proverbs, the first step in how Solomon would coach us to make our money matter is this. In order to make our money matter most, we've got to first have money, right? Makes a ton of sense. We've got to have money. But we can't make money matter if we don't have any money. And so what Solomon would write us is in order to have money, we've got to work for it. We've got to work to get money. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, Solomon would write, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Or in 1227, the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Solomon is is laying out a pretty simple and yet understandable concept that those who work for their profit gain profit. They gain money. And those who don't, you guessed it, they don't gain money. Now let me stop really quick and address something because there's a tension here. Uh, Because we look outside at our uh, world and our city and we watch the news and there is this stark reality of this thing called poverty. And this sermon is a money sermon, it's not a a poverty sermon, but let me just know, it would be foolish of me uh, to simply say that those who are in poverty just need to go out and get a job and work harder. Now maybe that is the truth for some situations, maybe some people need to do that, but the reality is, is there are many different situations that may keep somebody from being able to work or working. And, And not only that, and Proverbs speaks to this, sometimes the way that certain people make money is at the expense or at the oppression of other people. Uh, Solomon speaks a ton of financial ethics all throughout Proverbs, if you read it. Which is why Solomon speaks not just for working for your profit, but doing so in a way that is just, in a way that is righteous. Proverbs 11.1, one, he says, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. In 22.16, one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. So there is this reality of poverty in our world, and it's not going to be fixed by me just kind of snapping my fingers from up here and saying, Everybody go get a job. It's a lot more complicated and complex uh, than that. However, if people do have the ability to work a job, Solomon would say the wisest thing for that person to do is to go out and work that job. And Proverbs 20, 13, it says, Do not sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. So in other words, hey, don't find false excuses to not work. That's called laziness. If you've got the opportunity, work. Uh, doing some kind of work is always better than doing no kind of work, even if it's a part-time gig that you don't really wanna do. You can flip burgers for the glory of God. Come on, somebody. I know it just <laughs> freed somebody up. Uh, hey, I worked at Moe's Southwest Grill for a season of my life. Moe's Southwest Grill that exists in the Northeast, it doesn't make any sense, but was this a glamorous job? No. Did I say welcome to Moe's one too many times? I know you were thinking it. Yes, I did. Long shifts for welcome to Moe's. But hey, did I get an opportunity to make some money and figure out how to make that money matter most? Yes, I did. And that was a good season of my life. So to make money matter, if possible, we first got to work to make money. Now, again, the question that we're really asking today and journeying through uh, the book of Proverbs with Solomon on is, okay, not simply how do we make our money matter? That's a good question. The better question is how do we make our money matter most? That's what we're asking. So, okay, let's, let's uh, pretend. We got a job, uh, we, we worked, we got some money, first paycheck is in. Now the question is, Solomon, Proverbs, how do we make this paycheck, this money matter most? And I think Solomon God through Solomon in Proverbs gives us four main ways that we can make our money matter most. The first way is this. We don't just work so we can make our money matter most by hogging it to ourselves. We work to make our money matter most by giving our money away. Give is the first blank. We give. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Or Proverbs 18, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. Why does poverty await them? Because nobody in here is gonna get to the end of their life on their deathbed and say, you know what? As I kind of survey back through my life, if I could do just one more thing, if I could have one more wish, I wish I would have just made like a ton more money and sat on it. And you can like bury my final paycheck with me. <laughs> nobody is going to be saying that. People are going to think and say, no, I wish I would have given more money to purposes that are greater than myself. Making our money matter most means giving it to people, to churches, to organizations, where the impact of our money is gonna far outlast our minute lifespan. Uh, Giving your money generously allows you not to be a slave to your finances. When you give, it says, hey, this doesn't control me, therefore I don't mind giving it away. When something dictates or controls your entire life, you hold it very tightly and you hold it very closely, not wanting anybody to come near it. But when you give it away, what you are saying is, hey, this doesn't control me. There's a purpose that's greater than myself and I'm gonna give toward that end. And some of you might be thinking, okay, so we work this job to get all this money. We just give it all away. Is that what Solomon's saying? No, Solomon is not saying we give all of our money away. He's simply saying, hey, don't hog it all to yourself. It's been given to you by God to manage. It's temporary. So that said, why not give towards something of greater significance than yourself? Uh, Give is the first way that we make our money matter most. The second way that we make our money matter most, uh, Solomon speaks to in Proverbs, is to save our money. Save. And when I talk about save, I don't just mean like, uh, you know, dig a hole and put your gold in your, in your backyard for all the Ron Swansons in our church, because I know we got some in here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean being disciplined with it. Don't let it just fall right through your hands. Proverbs 12.1, and, and Aaron spoke to this last week, and this verse isn't necessarily talking about financial uh, discipline, but rather discipline in general, but it most certainly applies uh, Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. And this one stings, Solomon, but we'll take it anyways. But whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> it's like, woo! how nice of Solomon to say that about us when we aren't disciplined. Uh, Proverbs 13.18 says this, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. We've got to be disciplined with our finances. And the first step of doing that is knowing where your money is going and placing it there to stay. That allows you to save in areas where you would normally spend and then spend in areas where you would normally blow right past or maybe not even think about. And you might be asking, okay, well, what's a a good way to make sure that I'm saving? Like, how do I save best? We save best when we budget. Some people love that B word and some people don't like that B word. We save best when we budget. What's a budget, you might ask? A budget is is simply a financial boundary. It's something that keeps you and your finances in check. Make sure that you're tracking everything. And I want to give three major tips when it comes to budgeting. The first one is this, write it out. Write it out. Write your budget out. It's making a list, uh, categorizing all of the expenses that you have to pay, starting with the more essential things like food, shelter, clothing, and then moving to some more of those non-essential things. And what you do is you write out, whether it's each and every month, week, day, however however much you wanna do it, you write out a plan for how you're gonna take the income that you receive from the job that you work and place it in those categories of expenses. Again, this provides you with a thing called accountability. A budget is a boundary. And I love what Sandra Stanley says when she says, when you know you're going to record it, you'll be more inclined to consider whether you can afford it. (laughs) It's kind of a catchy statement, but isn't that so true? If we know what we're spending, man, we're going to be more disciplined with it. Or as Solomon would write, we're going to be smarter with our money. We're not going to be stupid. (laughs) And so write it out. And you can do this analog or you can do this, uh, you know, old-fashioned paper, or you can do it uh, digitally. There's a bunch of great apps out there. However you want to do, just track it so you know where things are. Write it out. The second tip that I want to give about budgeting is find financial friends. Find financial friends. Proverbs 13:20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Don't just let your written-out budget be the only thing that's keeping you accountable financially. Uh, find somebody who's maybe in your community group or maybe in this church or, or whoever. That, that maybe is a little bit ahead of you in terms of how they handle finances and let them speak into your financial life and, and help you in that area. Maybe for you, it's finding a financial advisor that you know and you trust and they can look exhaustively at your finances and give you the hard but needed truth of where you stand. And finding financial friends also means being wise with how you spend time with certain friends. Uh, maybe you've got that friend who's like, hey, we're gonna hit Morton's on Friday night. We're gonna hit Darien Lake all day on Saturday. You bring your kids, I'll bring mine. We're gonna get the front of the line pass. We're gonna get the meal pass. And you're like, hey, no, <laughs> okay? You guys are gonna come over to our house and watch Monsters, Inc. because I own it on DVD, okay? And, and we got one thing of brownie mix, so don't bring your kids, okay? You gotta kinda put the brakes up there and say, hey, chill, let's, let's chill out there, love ya. It is okay to hang out with some spenders. We love them, we need them. Shoot, I am one of them, just being honest. But but if you're in a tight spot, be wise with how you're gonna spend time with your spenders that you love. Find financial friends. Number two, finally, beware of the miscellaneous monster. Sounds a little odd at first. Here's what I mean. When my wife, Jess, and I got married and we really started taking budgeting serious, we would do a decently disciplined job at budgeting. But what we would always find was what would happen is we would find a place on our budget for about 90 to 95% of, uh, of our income, and then we'd leave that other 5 to 10% into a category that just so happened to be called miscellaneous. Oh, okay, well, we, we've, we've done about 90% of it. We'll just throw it in the miscellaneous. That doesn't sound all that bad, right? I mean, we're, uh, we're trying to be disciplined. We're naming our money where it needs to go. We're trying to save. It's all good. Like, what's the big deal? The big deal is you can justify buying a hamster if you got a miscellaneous category, okay? (laughs) Miscellaneous, I say beware of the miscellaneous monster because it always seems like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. We've already done most of it. It's all good. Let's just put it in this section. But that monster, the miscellaneous category, is always gonna eat all of those excess funds that maybe had you have taken the time to figure out where exactly do we want this to go, you could have used that money Uh, for greater purposes, or save money in the long run. So beware of the miscellaneous monster. Name your money and tell it where to go. Uh, Saving money allows you to not have to get into unnecessary debt. If you are in debt, you've been in debt, you know how that feels. It's always looming over you. It's weighing you down. It's stressing you out. So save your money. Tell it where to go. Don't let it tell you where it wants to go. And maybe some of these things sound super new to you and you're thinking, I don't even know where to get started with tracking on a monthly basis or you know, what does that even mean? And if you're looking for a first step, a first step that I would recommend is taking a course that we offer here at Northridge Church called Financial Peace University. Um, Jess and I took that course about a year and a half ago and it was an absolute game changer in how we steward and handle finances. So if you haven't done that, uh, on the bottom of your program, you'll see a box called financial peace university. You can check that off, put it in the basket on your way out. You will not regret it. And let me just note, um, that financial peace university is not just for people who struggle to stay out of debt. Uh, maybe you are in the best place financially that you've ever been in. And, and income is great. There is still work to be done. There are still better ways to steward and honor God with your finances. And this will make you a better uh, manager of your money. Save your money. The third way that we can make our money matter most, and kind of coattailing off of the last one, is to invest it. Invest it. Proverbs thirteen eleven says this, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. And not only that, Solomon goes on to say in verse 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So in working and giving and saving, we do these things in order that we can gather money little by little, watch it grow over time so that we can leave that inheritance for future generations to stand on. We gotta invest our money. Maybe for you that's paying into a 401k that, that your work offers or uh, and you pay into that or it's investing into a property or uh, maybe it's opening up a, a Roth IRA or maybe for you it's just saving up for an RV that your family has always wanted and that's going to bless you know, future generations. Whatever it is, th- the main point is you've got to find a way that you can put money away little by little and watch it grow so that your kids, your kids' kids can enjoy and be blessed by your disciplined faithfulness over the years. Invest your money. Uh, The final tip when it comes to making our money matter most is to genuinely enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, This this is kind of hard for some of us because we think, man, money is the root of all evil, but money is not inherently bad. It's given by God for us to manage and to steward. And if we've worked hard for it, We've given sacrificially and faithfully. We've saved money. We've been disciplined with our budgets. We've invested into the next generation for the future. It is totally okay to simply enjoy what God has given you. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty says this. A faithful person will be richly blessed. If you've been faithful with your finances and you've sought to make them matter most, it is totally okay to be and feel richly blessed. And the truth is, in being faithful with your finances, the blessing becomes less and less about how much you have to enjoy and more and more about the fact that you have anything from the God of the universe to enjoy. That's where the blessing comes. What what grace that is that the God of the universe would give us anything that we might have the opportunity to steward and enjoy. You can worship your heavenly father through enjoying the gifts that he has provided you. And that's not limited to, but it most certainly is not excluding the gift of money. So, If you want to go to Disney World, go to Disney World. Fly out to Hawaii. Go to that restaurant you've always wanted to go to and take me with you, okay? (laughs) Please. It's totally okay. And let me just say a disclaimer, because somebody might have just leaned over to their spouse and said, all right, babe, hey, we got the okay. You max out that credit card. I'll max out this credit card. We'll, we'll, We'll go do this puppy. We need a break. No, horrible idea. Please do not do that. That is not what I'm saying at all. This is if you've been disciplined and faithful in those other areas to create financial margin so that you can do, do these things. That's what I'm saying. Then go for it, all for it. I think so often when it comes to church people and money, because we've seen money abused, we're so uh, kind of sensitive and afraid to genuinely enjoy what God has given us and worshiping him through that. But we must recognize that it's not impossible. We can. We can enjoy God's incredible gifts. And maybe you're in here and you're thinking, I just don't know how. I'm in the greatest financial place I've ever been in in my life. We did all those five things, those four things. Like, I don't know how to truly enjoy. I feel guilty for what I have. What in the world? And if that's you, and, and even no matter what you have, whether you have a lot or you have a little, I think God, through Solomon, would teach us to truly enjoy our finances after doing those four things by focusing on one word, and that word is this, Trust. It all comes down to trust. Trust is key. You can't trust in your finances. In all four of those steps to make our money matter most, we must engulf them in trust. Trust in who? God, the giver of our money. If God has given us our money to manage, we must trust him to master us as we manage our money, which ultimately is his money. And you say, well, how do I do that this week? What does that actually look like, Graham? And I would say that the best way for us as a community to trust God with our finances this week is to pray a prayer that's similar to what Solomon would write towards the end of Proverbs. It's in chapter 30, verse 7 and 9. And it says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why does Solomon say that? He says, otherwise I may have too much and disown you. Say, who's the Lord? I don't need him, I got money. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's a prayer of trust. He's saying, God, don't let me trust in my riches, let me trust in you, because if I trust in my riches and I'm rich, I'm going to forget you. And if I trust in my riches and I'm poor, I'm going to blame you. Anytime we trust in our finances, it never ends well. Solomon would record this in another place. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Give God your money. If you don't, it's going to rule you. And if it rules you, it's going to ruin you. Money is not your friend if it is your master. Why do you think when Jesus was on this earth, he would would pull his disciples close, he would pull the people who were around him close, and he'd say, hey, remember this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. Or why do you think when Jesus was on this earth, he would make sure his disciples understood, the people who were closest to him, hey, get this, you can't serve God in money. You can't serve two masters. It doesn't work. I know you want it to, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. They do not work. Why do you think he said things like this? Well, it's because he knew how closely we hold money to our hearts, how prone we are to trust in our finances as our savior. We prize them. We worship them. It's what gives us value. It's what gives us meaning. It's what gives us our identity. And here's all I'm trying to say is we're talking about money closing up this series. Northridge Church, beware. Uh, Your heart affections and my heart affections have the capacity, if not kept in check, if not careful, to fall deeply in love with something that will turn around and bite us. Money is a powerful thing. And it's so powerful that it has the potential to richly bless your life, or to absolutely destroy your life. And so pursue these things, work, give, save, invest, enjoy, but in all of this, we must trust God with what he's given us, because it's his. And here's the deal, as we're kind of closing our time to get today talking about money and really just this entire series, uh, talking about wisdom in general, you could do all of these things uh, you, you could uh, try to fear God more. You could try to have a better sex life with your spouse. You could try to be the parent or guardian, uh, the best parent or guardian that you can think of. You could try to do all these money things. You could try to do all these things, but here's what's going to happen: you will never consistently do it. You can't. If you left this series and you ran out of these doors and you're thinking I'm going to go crush all these things, let's go. Like you're you're hyped up. You're ready to rock and roll. That may sustain you for a couple of weeks at best, but what's gonna happen is you will absolutely burn yourself out trying to do all these things every day of your life. You're gonna carry a load that you are too weak, sinful, and broken to carry, me too. And you're hearing this and you're thinking, what? So is uncommon sense a wash? Does any of this matter? What, should we not pursue this? What's the book of Proverbs about? The purpose of the book of Proverbs is not merely to give us short statements Uh, that's going to help us have a better life. Yes, it may make us better at life, but here's the reality. It will never give us a full life. Having a full life means having access to the divine author of wisdom. And we, on our own, we can't do that in our natural state. We need another source. We will never be wise enough, good enough, strong enough to have access to the wisdom that we need to consistently want to and actually do these things. So what does that leave us with? Good news, because it's totally okay. First Corinthians 1, 28 through 30 says this, "'God chose the lowly things of the world "'and the despised things and the things that are not "'to nullify the things that are, "'so that no one may boast before him, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us. What has Christ become for us? Wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. You will never truly fear God as you were designed and created for and God desires you to do if you don't have Christ as your righteousness. You will never have the best sex with your spouse as God designed you and wants you to have if you don't have Christ as your righteousness. You're never going to be the parent or guardian that you are called to be, supposed to be, God wants you to be if you don't have Christ as your righteousness. You'll never do any of this money stuff consistently, always, and steward God's gifts to bring him glory if you don't have Christ as your righteousness. Fearing God doesn't start when we saddle up our horses and burst out of these auditoriums and just go do it on our own and put these things on our own back. No, it starts on our knees at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, recognizing him who has become wisdom from God for us, that is our righteousness. And what's fascinating, when we accept Jesus as our righteousness, what's incredible is it then empowers us to live these truths out. We, it changes our desires. We want to do these things. And that brings us not only a wise and a better life, but a wise and a full life. And so friends, if you know Jesus today, you know wisdom. And So the question that I have uh, for some of us today is, do you know Jesus? And if not, why not? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are our righteousness, that you are wisdom, personified. What an incredible truth. What a freeing truth. That we don't got to walk out of here and do all this stuff on our own, but we get to do it empowered by your spirit, empowered by the reality that you are our righteousness when we believe and put our faith in you. That's freeing, and I pray that it would free somebody today, including myself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Again, we we can go out and we can pursue all these things, uh, wisdom in these different areas, but if we have missed the one thing, Christ as our righteousness, we're running a race that never ends and only gets harder and harder and it burns us out and we'll quit. But that's not what we're left with. So as we kind of wrap up this series, we're getting ready to sing a song uh, that really is a prayer, it's a declaration of Jesus being our one thing and us professing our faith in that. And so I want to ask that you guys would stay seated and just kind of read the lyrics of this song and reflect on this song and ask yourself, one, is Christ my righteousness? Have I been freed in that way? And if not, why not? And number two, if Christ is my righteousness, am I living with the burden of doing all of these things? And so as we sing this song, reflect on these words, pray to God, say, God, are you my righteousness? And let's sing this together.